Aloha, I'm Ash. Aloha, I'm Matt. We are The Yoga Couple. Welcome back to another episode of The Inner Work Podcast. So, ever since we interviewed Bill Phillips, the psychic medium, things have gotten really interesting in our lives. And I think what happened with Bill is that we were kind of already on the edge of figuring out something. And he inspired us to figure out what that something was. (laughs) (laughs) Matt had been feeling like there was an angel or a spirit that has been trying to communicate with him or help give him guidance for several years. Like he has mm. for several years told me, I just yeah, feel really I connected. Feel like something is speaking to me. Or if any of you are familiar with um, conversations with God, with Neil Donald Walsh, you know, I'm one of those uh, people who can sit down at the computer with a blank page and like basically have a conversation with God. And I've always felt like I'm talk like there's a guide. I'm talking to someone. I feel like there's something going on here. And Bill really confirmed that for us. We were just kind of chatting after the interview and he was saying, Hey, uh, I need to say this before I, before I got the phone with you guys, um, Matt, I feel inspired to tell you that there is a masculine uh, guide or energy who is trying to get through to you and trying to um, let you know that he's there and, uh, you know, just to be aware of it. He might maybe come in the form of a bird, I'm thinking. And we were like, okay. okay. And, and you know, being the fact that, you know, Bill really specializes in communicating with people who have passed, I immediately was thinking, well, I don't really have anyone in my family who's passed. Uh, I'm not really sure. And he's like, yeah, just maybe, maybe just kind of look into it. And we were like, okay, that's really interesting. And we just kind of let that sit for a moment. But then the very next day, we're out in the yard and a hawk just flies over our head. (laughs) Which is so rare in Hawaii. And starts circling, just literally (laughs) making a circle. Circle over Matt's head, just in circles, wings open, a hawk. Mm. And we've never seen a hawk here in Hawaii. And... It just was really obvious at that point. Okay, like Bill just said this hmm, yesterday. What's what's going on here? So another weird thing that Bill talked about was he said, you know, when you see repeated numbers, uh, there might be a deeper message for you. Maybe somebody who has passed away is trying to get your attention by using numbers. And another weird thing that has been coming up for us is Matt has been seeing the number 919 for the past several months. Mm, yeah, like every is, morning and night, whenever I am happen to look at the phone or something like that, it would just keep popping up. And he's repeatedly told me this. And we'd be in the car and he'd be like, oh my God, there it is, 919 again. <laughs> and then we would be like working on the book, he'd be like, 919. And he would just, he's been saying this out loud. And he looked it up and it was an angel message that said, you know, like a chapter in your life is closing. So we just brushed it mm-hmm. off as like. Yeah, well, it made a lot of sense when we looked up what the numbers represented as like a message. Uh, you know, you're you're finishing up a, a life work and obviously as we're concluding and, and finalizing the book, you know, it all started to make sense. We kind of put all the pieces, we're like, okay, cool, cool. That's really fascinating. Makes a lot of sense. But then the plot kept thickening. Yeah. So we go camping over, you know, other side of the island. It's a full moon. We're in the middle of this like beautiful lava field overlooking the ocean and there's mm. just like no one around. It's just pure Hawaiian uh, energy, pure nature, pure, you know, mother moon, just, like yeah, just big, so clear, clear sky with a huge full moon, magical night. And we're writing the book, we're wrapping up the book that night and we go to bed and Matt is like feeling a lot of doubt and just, you know, 
are we on the right path? Am I supposed to write this book? Am I doing the right thing? You know, could, could I just get some guidance on this? And he's kind of telling me, but in the, in a sense, like pleading out loud, like, God, if you could hear me, tell me. And in the midst of my semi-sleep, I get this vision of Matt's teacher who I don't necessarily have a deep connection with. Like I'm aware of him. We have all his books. He's a part of my life through Matthew, but he's not like my teacher. And it's Dr. Hawkins. And Dr. Hawkins has passed away, but he is like, he's the biggest inspiration for the work that we do today, the inner work, the themes of consciousness, everything that we do um, is is a, a lot inspired teacher. by yeah. Dr. Hawkins. And um, I'm connected with the work, you know, through, through Matthew, but not necessarily like I don't have a deep connection to Hawkins. Mm. But Dr. Hawkins comes to me and <laughs> tells me that he has been talking to Matthew and, and helping Matthew with writing this book and, and also talking to me this entire process, but I just didn't realize it. And that Matt has been stubbornly refusing to accept guidance from Dr. Hawkins and that in all of his doubt that basically he's been because I've actually, the specific doubt was I felt like, you know, I didn't get a chance to meet him because lo and behold, the time I was going to go meet him, uh, he canceled that, that uh, conference, I guess you would call it. And he ended up passing soon after. So I didn't get that opportunity. So I always have felt like this, like, oh man, like, I don't know. Uh, you know, I just wish, I wish I could have gotten confirmation from him that I can move his work forward because, uh, it changed me forever. And he is absolutely my teacher. Yeah. And so when Ashley says, you know, I've been stubborn, it's, it's just that I've been like doubting that I'm allowed doubting that like he, that he, he's like, yes, Matthew, go forth, like do this, you know, like, and I never got to have that, you know, acknowledgement in, in the physical realm. And so when Ashley, you know, wakes me up and is like, hey, um, he just came to me in a dream and told me, absolutely, he is actually, you know, absolutely, you are the one to do this. And in fact, he's been the reason why you even wanted to write this book is because he he's been to. prompting me to do it. <laughs> and so this was just crazy. Then it gets even crazier. So I guys. grab my phone and I'm like, okay, everything we just heard from Bill Phillips is that you know, pay attention to the signs. And I look up his biography and I'm just looking at, I don't, I don't know what I'm looking for. I'm just looking at, I'm just looking him up because he just came to me in a vision, which was so weird. And I didn't even want to trust that that was happening, but. And to be, I, the real reason we were looking up too is because his middle name was an R and we were trying to figure out what that is because Bill said, it's something with an R. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and so we're like, whoa, what's what if it, what's the middle name? Yeah. Maybe there's something going but on then, here. But then, yeah, that's right. We were looking up mm -hmm, his middle name because mm -hmm. we're like, what does R stand for? Because Bill said his name might start with an R. So we're like, what is his middle name? But then instead of, instead of finding his middle name, instead, the first thing we see is his death date, which is September 19th. 19th. Yeah. nine one nine, And we were like, oh my Whoa. gosh, like, are you kidding me? That is why we keep seeing 919. And then it all clicked. Hawkins, a freaking hawk, hawk. the bird, <laughs> like, duh. Like, yes. And oh, it was just this, wow. this whole like paradigm breakdown. Like it just felt like the matrix shattered and duh. So to sum this all up is that we've been 
really, the veil has been getting thinner for us between the manifest world and the unmanifest. And like, mm. what what is what is beyond the reality that we're perceiving with our five sentence? You can really feel it. There's something more going on here. Like mm. we're connected to uh, to people who have passed. We're connected to you know other realms, other dimensions. Like there's beings that are communicating with us and trying to help us if we just open our eyes and receive. And we're starting to really tap into that and trust it more. And yeah, and so, kind of open the communication. Yeah, and we're so excited to bring on our guest today because we have Lee Harris, who is the author of Energy Speaks, and this is what his entire book is about. Mm. He's an intuitive medium. He's a transformational leader. He's got, you know, like 70,000 uh, followers on YouTube, and he does these um, monthly energy pulses on the planet. He's constantly in communication with these other beings called the Zs who are here to help and yeah, guide the world. If anyone could help us understand this experience of communicating and channeling with the other beings. It's Lee Harris. It's perfect. So um, he's going to be uh, our speaker today. And we're going to talk about how do we as light workers, which you might have heard this word before, light worker, was just somebody who wants to... Uh, help awaken goodness in the world yeah help awaken the consciousness of the planet and uplift humanity and if you feel like that's you which we all do feel that then lee's book and what he's going to talk about today on the podcast is all about developing that honing your intuition practices that you can start to incorporate in your everyday life how to start to trust uh, the signs and trust, mm. trust your intuition more. And also if you're interested in channeling or um, getting, you know, guidance from guides or, or spirits, how do you even start that process? Yeah. He has some great, really simple, effective ways to just access it every day. Yeah. Simple ways. So we're going to bring him on. Um, he leads workshops all throughout the world and you can check him out online. He's a native from England, but he now lives in California and um, he's been just doing this since I think like 2004. So he's got a lot of experience in this realm. And without further ado, let's bring him on, Lee Harris. Lee Harris, welcome to the show. Welcome Lee Harris to the Inner Work Podcast. We are so honored and so excited to have you. I am a personal fan. I've been watching your YouTube videos for quite some time now, so I can't express how excited I am to finally be able to just speak to you myself. Welcome. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. And yeah, it's funny because I hadn't heard of or seen your guys' work yet, but I really love what you're doing. Um, so yeah, thank you for having me on. Yeah, and we just want to congratulate you on the release of your new book, Energy Speaks. And we just got it ourselves, but we have so many questions to ask you about the book. But before we do, um, just for anyone who's not aware of you, Lee is a channel and an intuitive messenger. Lee, could you just tell us how did you come across and first discover that you had those gifts to begin with? Well, it's interesting because I, I now look back and I realize I really didn't know I had those gifts and yet um, when I was a kid and yet I, <laughs> I see how it caused me so many problems as a kid. Um, you know, so my teenage years, I basically got into destructive eating. Um, in fact, I was taken to Weight Watchers at the age of 10. Um, and all through my teens, I battled with weight and compulsive eating. And now I understand. I'm kind of like, oh, right, I was a sensitive and I didn't understand how to process what I was feeling or experiencing. Um, and then 
as I kind of broke out of all of that, I really started to wake up in my late teens when I was about 17, 18. And I would go to tarot readings and something about it would just crackle in my system. It would feel really right what was happening in that moment. So I started reading metaphysics, going to self-growth workshops for my own personal healing. And in the midst of all of that, when I was 23 years old, um, I was on the underground train in London, the tube, going to work, and I just heard the voice of my guides. And it took me some time to believe it because I always perceived that people who had that experience must surely have either been very special or meditating in Tibet when it happened. And for me, it was, you know, a noisy train in London. Um, But from that day onwards, I was always able to hear them. And still to this day, if I place my attention to them, I can speak to them. Wow, that's so interesting. I love that you clarify that, you know, it doesn't have to be some exotic experience for you to tap into the unmanifest realm. It could just be just a normal moment, like you were just sitting on the bus. So so you didn't always know you were an intuitive, or what did you do when you first had this come to you? Well, you know, at first you, you, you question it, and I think I understand the skepticism in society about channeling because I too had it myself. I'd been taken to a channeler once before, about eight months before this happened. And I remember coming away thinking, well, he's a really nice man and he's clearly like wise and intuitive, but why did he have to close his eyes and, you know, slightly alter his voice and, um, and, and kind of pretend he was channeling? I mean, I didn't, I didn't disbelieve him, but I didn't get it. Um, Mm. I definitely, I definitely saw the validity of the information. And so for me, that was actually the test. Um, and I say this to anybody now, it doesn't matter whether you're channeling your guides, whether you're connecting to God, whether you're connecting to the higher self part of your soul. The most important thing is, is the information useful? And is it helping? And is it helping you to become more open as a person or grow or become more loving or live in a bigger way? So that was kind of my acid test with the whole thing. When I realized I wasn't schizophrenic, um, I, I, I basically would start asking my guides lots of questions, personal questions, questions about people I knew, and questions about the wider world. And because the constant experience was expansion for me, um, even if sometimes <laughs> they didn't stroke my ego and that was a little uncomfortable, they always did it with love if they were explaining to me something that I was, was seeing from a very limited place. So um, for me, that was the acid test. It was the trust I had over it for a good few years before I went public. And also the friends who were spiritually open that I would help. Um, you know, I would get messages for them. And so I did it privately for the first five years. Um, and and then kind of it, it became something I started doing for people I didn't know. Mm. Mm, wow. So excited. I love that acid test too. I, I've often thought that with any intuitions is if I ever doubt it, I just really ask myself, well, is it loving and is it helping me? And if the answer is yes, then I feel like how could I really go wrong? So I really love that you affirmed that. And and with that, you know, what about what what words of encouragement do you have for others like myself and, and Ash and those listening that are maybe sensitive and empathetic? Well, that's a great question. Words of encouragement in general or words of encouragement around channeling or 
Yeah, just that they want to start to maybe explore their their own intuitions and and kind of explore this whole new world of inner in, in inspiration. Yeah, it's it's a great great question. So a couple things hit me as you ask that. The first thing that really helped me um, several years ago, I was talking to my guides and they said to me, um, I was I was very uncomfortable. I was having a very uncomfortable few days, and they basically said you walk between two worlds and so you are always going to sit in a somewhat awkward middle place and you know I, I, it might seem odd but that has reassured me so many times since then like if I'm if I'm going through something that I can't quite put my finger on um, it's usually because I've, I've I've got very very in my human self um, and and I have to remember that we're souls we're you know we're, we're having this energetic experience so I think first of all if you are sensitive and empathic know that it's a really it can be a really tricky journey as much as it can be a really wonderful one because we're not as a society at this point teaching people how to be sensitive you know this is a new thing and mm. it's really emerging much more now so if you're a leader in that field um, you know Remember to give yourself a break and that you're human too. I certainly certainly used to go to workshops and everything 20 years ago or read books of my favorite spiritual authors and think, wow, they just got it all sorted out. And so I would beat myself up every time I was going through something tough. But I think to know that the human growth journey is, is, is there for everybody, um, but as a sensitive and an empathic person, there are certain things that you're going to have to keep an eye on um, in your own life, your sense of balance, uh, the relationship with things that keep you grounded, keep you well-nourished, especially at times like these. But I would also just say regarding channeling, um, I'm a huge advocate that everybody can do it. It doesn't necessarily mean everyone's going to meet their guides, but I'm a huge advocate that we can sit there with a pen and paper in the morning for three minutes and we can literally write at the top of the page, soul, what do you want to tell me today? And then you just mm -hmm. write a few sentences. And then if you do that every day, it really will change your life. And it doesn't mean that you will feel that connection all through the day, but it's much like a gratitude practice. It starts to repattern you and it starts to remind you and help you remember that you can reach beyond any limits that you're feeling at any time. You may not choose to, but that option is always there. And I've literally had rooms full of people around the world in workshops who <laughs> some of them look at me when I tell them that's what we're about to do. And then I say, we're about to channel. And a bunch of them go, oh, I, I can't do that. And lo and behold, I've never once had, you know, finished that five minutes and had anybody say that they couldn't write something. Wow. That is such great advice and such a practical practice that everyone can implement. Just sitting down and allowing whatever inspiration to comes through you just come out through through pen and paper. It doesn't have to be some exotic, dramatic event. I love that so much because it's like how often do we take the time throughout mm. our day to just check in with, like you said, our soul. Yeah, I really resonate with that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about your guides, your spirit guides specifically, who you call the Zs, and how do they communicate with you? Yeah, so um, I hear them. 
um, and I've always heard them. So it's very language-based connection. Um, I do sometimes um, get visuals too from them, but because I also work as an intuitive, which is you know me using my empathy and my intuition to read energy or people or places, um, I think some of that comes from that side too. But when I speak to disease, I literally it's like. It, it, you, it's hearing it's hearing someone speaking to you. So I always used to say that in the early days, my job was to be like a receptionist or a telephonist, <laughs> where you just sit there and you're no. You, I mean, really, I I used to feel like that was the job. It's like taking dictation, and you just have to be able to keep up. Mm. Um, so for me, that's how I hear them. And I asked them. I said, you know, do you have names? And they said, well, we don't have names in the way that you have names, but we know that names are important. So Zachary, who said, I'm, I'll, I'm the lead spokesperson, um, you can call me Zachary. And he explained, he said, there are 88 entities, but he cautioned against me getting too fixed on the idea that they were 88, because he said, we extend wider into source. He said, so some of us have been incarnate as human beings before, others haven't. Um, he said, but we extend wider into source because everything is connected. And I thought, well, yeah, here I am sitting in a human body talking to some people who aren't in the body. So, of course, everything's connected. So, <laughs> you know, in, 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 in much the same way that you and I are speaking now, we've never met in person, but we're connecting and we're in two different places right now. Mm. So I really, I really like the truth of that. You know, even if you have a guide, that guide is connected to the whole universe as are we. So, um, so yeah, the reason they're called disease is there were a couple of others who came through in the following years, and they their names were given as Zayadora and Zachariah. So it was actually people who followed my work who called them disease, because I used to channel them all differently. Um, and then at one point, I would keep hearing people going, oh, are you going to channel disease at this workshop? You know, so um, that just kind of stuck. And they no longer differentiate. They now just because one collective. Mm, that is so awesome. I have goosebumps listening to that. So yeah, cool. Amazing. You mentioned this a couple times already, and I'm, I've been uh, curious to get your take on it. You've been mentioning how this is more important now than ever. I would really love to hear more about that. Why, why do you uh, believe that channeling is so important at this time in history in particular? Well, it's interesting because one of the things that I think you guys are doing when I got to check out your Facebook pages and, and, and your work online is you are helping to normalize sensitivity, authenticity, and the personal growth journey. That's mm. what you two do through your work and through sharing your experiences, your processes, and sharing your practice, your yoga. So mm. I feel like that that you are doing that many many others in the world are doing right now is is very like channeling in that those energies need to come to the fore for all of us so we all need either to be able to connect with our soul connect with our intuition connect with a practice that helps connect us connect with authenticity and vulnerability which has been championed in the last kind of I was going to say the last kind of five years, it feels like it's become much more common. Mm. Um, but, you know, I, I go back to Oprah in the early 90s, who right. I would watch her show and feel like, oh, my God, someone's talking about something real when she used to speak to people about what they were dealing with, you know, in, in her audience. And so, so I believe that the channeling part of our world and people knowing they 
they can connect to things beyond themselves rather than, you know, feeling like um, a priest will give you access to God mm, only. Right. And you don't have your own, you don't have your own sovereign relationship as a soul with yourself or this universe. I think that we're moving out of that old power paradigm where someone else has power over your spirit or your faith or your connection. And I, I get that teachers and all of that and facilitators are really, really important. Um, but so too is your own your own innate knowing. And I think that's where channeling can really help connect us to something bigger than our just our limited human self. Mm. I get so excited listening to you talk about that. I could just feel like my inner being lighting up and just being like, yes, yes. like I'm so excited <laughs> to uh, be in a body at this time in history and to, to be a part of this great awakening. It, 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 it's really exciting. In yeah. the first chapter of, of your book, Energy Speaks, it, it, the first chapter is called You're a Light Worker. And, and we hear this word just kind of thrown out so often. Could you maybe give our listeners more of like a definition on what, what do you consider a light worker and how can someone tell if they are one? Yeah, it's, it's a word I was not familiar with when I first started doing this work, but it's a word that will keep coming up through disease. And obviously, I, I mean, I had seen it out there, but I, it wasn't something in my own language. It wasn't something I identified with. Um, so a light worker to me um, is the person in the room who is just bringing good energy to the room. So you go to a party and there's someone who is, is, is emanating something, whether it's a warmth, whether it's the way that they're supporting the group. So to me, light workers are everywhere and they tend to be people who are wanting to generate goodness or transformation within relationships, people, places. Um, however, there are a group who identify as light workers who have a real conscious sense of that mission. So I meet people all the time who I think are just extraordinarily spiritual, but they might never ever use that language mm. or think they're spiritual, but they're just so loving and so <laughs> present. And you're like, wow, you're just an amazing human being. You know, I just, I so admire and want to be close to you. This is, this is beautiful what you're, what you're generating on the planet. Now, light workers, as Baziz talk about it, are the group of people who are very conscious of that role mm. and feel like they want to see the vibration or the consciousness of the planet rise and oftentimes we will all have a part to play so for example I'm not someone who can really stand for the environment because that's not really my knowledge base or where my passion takes me but I can stand for what I stand for mm. and they say that we, we all take our jigsaw piece and if we all as, as light workers cover our jigsaw piece then the world gets to light up one piece at a time. Mm. Um, but the most important thing I think about light workers is sometimes people get lost in an idea that therefore they're special or, or superior. And of course, that's not the truth because we're all we're all just equal on the planet anyway. Um, but I think there can also be this pressure to think, well, you ha I have to be a perfect person, and I just don't think that mm. you don't think that exists. Having met some really really enlightened people. Even they, I have seen going through their human struggles or their human journeys that can be difficult because I do think it's dense on the planet. And so um, you, you don't have to be a perfect person to be a light worker, but you do have to identify with a sense of mission around consciousness, 
and elevation for the planet in your lifetime. Mm. Wow. Yeah, I really resonate with um, what you were just saying about the, you know, you have to be this perfect enlightened figure. Uh, I was recently realizing how much some of my uh, idolization of some of my teachers gave me the impression of like, that's the only way to to be a proper light worker is you have to be aspire perfect. to some perfect like godliness. And I was, and, and it, it really can, you're right, become destructive actually in some ways because um, it's not necessarily a healthy expectation. <laughs> yeah, so true. And I remember early early on when I was channeling, I, I worked with another channeler at the time, Story Waters, and we would do this radio show where, this was about 2006, and we would talk about what we were going through mm. um, in our own human growth. And we really pissed some people in the channeling community off, and I had no idea that would happen because I had, I had come from a place of... To me, hearing people speak about their trials or their difficulties was was oxygen to me. You know, it would, I, like I said, I loved the Oprah show because I loved hearing people talk about real stuff. Mm. But I, I realized the response from some people in the audience for that show, they were annoyed because they liked their channelers to just be channelers. And they didn't want to see the human being wow. that was oh, wow. bringing through... And that, that was a little jarring to me coming from a personal development background. You know, my, that was my passion. I never thought I would end up in the channeling world per se, but I did notice that people, there can be this separation that just exists in, I guess, in our collective psyche about when someone is of the light or of a teacher, we either don't want to think they're also going through stuff that's more shadowy or, or we don't believe it or we just want to edit it out. It's very interesting. Yeah, and and I love this this little bit right here that we're talking about because I feel like that belief that we have to be perfect in order to be a light worker prevents us from doing doing the light working, from sharing <laughs> our gifts, from from helping others because we think like we're not qualified to do it, you know, unless we're already this like perfect enlightened being. So for everyone listening, you know that feels inspired to to share light to be of good service to the world and to helping the the world awaken you know uh, uplifting collective consciousness like the desire to want to do that is enough mm. so i Absolutely. i love love that and i had a question for you too um in your book you know on this topic is you say it's really important that we own our personal power um and just kind of going right along with this could you explain what that means, uh, as far as you know, with light workers and people trying to trying to save people, what what's this importance of owning our own power? Yeah, you bring up a really good thing there, which is the whole idea of saving someone. You know, and the truth is that some people don't want to be saved, or they don't necessarily want to be saved on your timeline or your schedule. <laughs> you know, so um, you know, you do sometimes meet healers or spiritual people who think that it's their job to interfere with someone else's reality and that's a really fine line you've got to be very careful about that absolutely um but you know you talk about personal power and it just makes me think what you said a few minutes ago um quite brilliantly that you you realized you know that you were because you were perhaps idolizing some of your teachers you were separating from who you are and what your personal power is and mm. you know like i said with you guys just with the short time I got to spend with your work, 
I see that what you two are doing is being deeply authentic and deeply vulnerable about what you're going through and very mm. honest, but also very dedicated to your mm. practice. And just those three qualities that you guys are embodying and choosing to shine a light on, not 24-7, but in the time that you are putting your work out into the world, um, that's really key for other people because then other people, it becomes contagious. And it's like, oh, great, these guys are making it safe, so I can do the same thing. So I guess to me, part of that chapter that talks about your personal power, it's about remembering you have your own path to walk and only you can walk it the way that you can. And I think especially in the internet age right now, it's very easy to get into comparison or think, oh, well, I should be like, you know, Oprah or someone else out there. And it's like, no, no, we have an Oprah. We don't need another Oprah. And no, <laughs> no one will ever do it the way the way she did it. And if they try, they're just going to look somewhat hollow mm. because they're not really owning what they're here to personally do. I hope that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And thank you yeah. for those affirmations. Really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, in the book, course. you also talk about this really cool three-week self-love uh, challenge. Could you talk more <laughs> about that and why self-love is so important? Oh, yeah, that's really hard. You know what's funny is I just did the, um, I just recorded the audiobook version a few weeks ago. And as you know, you know, I, I mean, you guys know because you, you put your own book out, but it's a long time from finishing your book until it comes out. I think we finished the revisions of the manuscript like a year ago. So I hadn't really looked at the mm. book for a year. Wow. And I'm in the studio and I'm, I'm reading the self love journey chapter. And, um, I was just reminded how hard that challenge was. It's <laughs> hilarious because you, you would, you would, you know, you would think it's not hard to just do one act of self love towards yourself per day for three weeks. But the line that really cracked me up, um, when I, and I remembered they were really serious when they channeled this. They said, if you, if you forget a day, you have to go back to the beginning. And, you uh -huh. know, of course, the, the, the part, the part of me that, you know, was already horrified when they laid down that challenge in 2010, which was when that channel came through at a workshop in Berlin. Um, it was very hard for me and my psyche nine years ago to be self-loving towards myself in some way, to choose an activity or um, uh, something I could give to myself, whether it was sitting and listening to my favorite piece of music or um, you know, going for a walk or going for a massage or any, any of those things. To do that for 21 days in a row as an act of consciousness, because I realized how my consciousness was so, um, so easily distracted by life and had not ingrained that for myself at the time. So that's really what the, um, the self-love journey really talks about why we don't self-love and what it is to do it and then gives you that challenge. Um, yeah. <laughs> It's so cool. I love it. It's it's a simple concept, but I think it's it's and it's fascinating so how hard powerful. it is. Like you said, you know, it's kind of oh, funny. God, yeah. It's 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 that's what's interesting is why is it so challenging for us to exercise self love on a regular basis? And and you're right, and to add the the conscious effort to it all. I mean, it, it's pretty interesting to start looking at just the just what it brings up. Even just embarking on the challenge is fascinating. 
yeah. And I mean, even 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 though I've done it, and I definitely practice self love in my life more than ever before, without question. Um, even reading those sentences out in the audio book, um, I there was a little part of me that when I got to the part about and if you miss a day, you have to go back to the beginning. There was a rebellious teenager inside me that rolled my <laughs> eyes when I was like, you know, really, I was like, wow, this is still. There's a part of me that's kind of like, oh God, really, you know? And and it was a it was a it was a small part of me, but it was there. And I think that's what's fascinating about exposing yourself to whether it's channeling in a book like this or, or some other teaching. It's like the best mirror for the parts of your your psyche and being that that then reveal themselves. So so mm-hmm. for me, there was definitely a part of me that was like, oh, I haven't got time to do this. You know? <laughs> I don't have time um, to love myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm far too busy. So that, that said, you know, that said, I really I really love that chapter because the, the hilarious thing for me um, in in kind of not just receiving these messages but having to work with these messages over the years is the one thing they affirm in another chapter called the art of receiving there's a trilogy of chapters on abundance and one of them is called the art of receiving and this again was around the 2011 period they talk about how much easier it is for us to give out than it is for us to take in and so i think Mm. that's the that's at the heart of this for us to just sit and be present with ourselves without being in response to the outside world um i certainly was never taught to meditate before i became a channeler so for me even hearing my guides was an external impulse for me to go inward Mm. wow thank you for that uh we it's funny we were just wanted to get into that this art of receiving i would love to hear more about this this is something i think that we Uh, are really trying to allow ourselves. And I find myself saying literally what you just said, I can give love a lot easier than receiving it. Yeah, could you tell us more about that? Yeah, I would love to hear more because uh, I feel like you're speaking to me. Personally. Personally. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's one of us here, right? Um, They say, um, yeah, I... I'll give you an example of it that that is most resonant for me, and it's the one I notice the most. Imagine you go and get a drink with a friend of yours. So, um, you know, you you go and get a smoothie or a snack or a coffee or whatever with a friend, and the friend says to you, oh, hey, I want to pay for this. There are three ways you're going to respond. You're going to go, oh, great, thank you, and just receive it. Or you're going to say, oh, okay, great, well, I'll get the next one meaning I cancel out what you just gave me. I'll just make sure that the checks and balances are all in order and that we've all agreed that if you give to me now, I'll give to you next week. Um, And then there's the third one, which is to completely block it and to say no, no. Um, Now, let's just amplify that example a little bit. You go and sit down with your smoothie, your snack, your coffee, whatever, and the friend says, I've got a great idea and I wanted to tell you about it today. I am taking you on an all-expenses trip to Hawaii for three weeks. We are going to stay in this amazing hotel. I'm paying for the flights, the hotel, all the meals, all the food. I just want to treat you. Now, again, (laughs) a very teeny tiny percentage of the world might go, wow, great, thanks. (laughs) Most people will go, 
you know, most people go, oh, you can't do that because, you know, you already calculate how many thousands of dollars that's going to cost. And it's like, I can't take that money. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some people will go, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Now, I will add one caveat here. Sure, there are some people who you know in your life who are, who are too generous and they're generous beyond their means. You know, there's times when you're with someone and you know that they're, their, their generous drive is not necessarily backed up by their bank account or by... So I understand intervening in those cases and gracefully saying thank you, but I'm good. But in this case, what it really illustrates to me is we have this negotiation going on with abundance all the time and it shows up in these kinds of daily interactions. And I used to be the person that if someone paid for dinner for me, I would always say, oh, I'll get the next one. Whereas, you know, I kind of know that I'm going to do that. So it was my discomfort that needed to verbalize it. So Mm. there is, I think all through that chapter, there are these thoughts, suggestions and exercises to get you to have a deeper look at where are you and where aren't you willing to receive in your life. Um, And I think it's just very, very cultural for us. There are certain cultures around the world where receiving and giving and sharing of love seems a lot more fluent than certainly the Western world that I grew up in. Wow. I, I resonate with this concept so much. And to me, what's coming up is like this deep self-rejection because like essentially it's all self. So if we're, if we're not accepting from others, we're not accepting of self. And it's just, it's just bringing up for me like, wow. Yeah, yeah this is Ashley's I, work. Yeah, <laughs> I feel I feel this a lot, and um, I'm really glad you you brought it up. Um, you mentioned something really specific. You said, um, you know, that there's like this connection between abundance and receiving, or abundance and surrender. Could you tell us more about that connection between abundance and and surrender? Yeah, well, I think one of the things with abundance is it it goes back to the self love journey, you know give yourself something in a very present, conscious way every single day for 21 days. Um, I notice I have to, often my feeling of gratitude will just hit me and will hit me regularly. Um, But other times I really have to focus on it and I really have to kind of do a checklist and just kind of, you know, even sitting talking to you guys right now, I can go, wow, I'm sitting in our house our cats are by me while I talk to you two. You two are lovely. Um, I can be so grateful for this moment, but I often have to bring it into consciousness. It's not innate to me. It's not something that's just hardwired into me 24-7. But I recognize that the more I practice that, the more my abundance energy changes. And I don't necessarily mean abundance of bringing more toward me. It's more recognizing what's already here. So the concept in the book around surrendering to abundance is surrendering to what's already here and recognizing what's already here because if you're just constantly trying to get something other than your current experience, there is suffering. You know, there is some level of pain or suffering. And sure, if you're in a really extreme situation right now in your life and there's nothing good about it, then I I fully respect that that would be what you're trying to do. But sometimes we've got this idea about an abundant reality that isn't true. You know, it's the people who tell us, well, I suddenly ended up with millions of dollars and I was absolutely miserable. And it's not that millions of dollars made them miserable, it's that some part of them thought that maybe with millions of dollars they'd be happy. So there's the shock horror 
that no, happiness doesn't become permanent with millions of dollars. Sure, there is there's a certain level of perhaps financial ease. There can also be a certain level of financial complication. Mm-hmm. So surrendering to the abundance that you already have while also honoring and recognizing your impulses. And one of the things the Z's really taught me to do was to get underneath the hood of what it was I thought I wanted. So rather than, um, you know, going, you know, I, I often hear this from people actually, because I work a lot with um, healers or people who do this work or want to do this work or take it to the next level. And when people say to me, I want to be a best-selling author, I always say, why? Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because sometimes people can tell me why, but often people don't know why. It's because they see that shiny object out there in the public and they think that it's a good thing or it seems to be something that gives a claim. And yet if you speak to most best-selling authors, while they will say, I'm really grateful that my book was a bestseller, they'll tell you why. They'll say, because it connected me to this, or because it allowed me to go and teach, or because... So there's always a reason underneath a form that we're trying to manifest. And if you get underneath the form, you can manifest what you're trying to bring towards you through that form far more successfully than if you're just attached to a best-selling book. Because if the best-selling book is about you you saying, I really want to impact the world in a positive way, and I want to feel like something I've put into society has had an impact, you don't know. You might do some video in a week that you have no expectation of that is suddenly seen by a million people in the next mm. year, and it gives you all the same qualities wow. that what you thought the book the book would do. I love that wow. so much. I feel like after every time you speak, I need a minute to process. <laughs> like, Let's all take a wow. moment of silence. Yeah, wow. That is just, um, wow, amazing. Yeah, it's really interesting because like you're really explaining like the core desire is to either be in alignment with our purpose or our dharma or to feel like deep fulfillment and deep happiness. And we, we confuse that with some external thing, usually money. And that attachment to it being that way through money or, or something often leaves us, in a sense, often hating money or hating, hating... Um, Whatever it is we started yeah, because create. Yeah, because we're putting so much emphasis on it being the provider for our joy or for our fulfillment, and that's not true. But you do have a really cool chapter in the book, which is called Loving Money. And um, yes. I think that that's a really healthy... Thing to start to develop in in regards to everything you're saying as as putting the emphasis on money. Could you speak more about that healthy relationship with loving money? Yeah, it's so funny because I was very hesitant to agree to call the chapter "Loving Money" when it first came through. And again, you know, this was channeled. I don't know, maybe eight nine years ago. Because I think there are fifteen chapters in the book from over the last twelve years of of work, all pulled from different times. Loving money is a really interesting one because money is this very strange force. When couples get divorced, the thing that I heard the most from clients or people I was helping um, through things like their divorce is the horror and the shock that they would have that as soon as the assets and the money were being divided, this person who had seemed completely detached from them, from their relationship, suddenly became furious or deeply upset or deeply emotional and they were shocked every time and I I can't tell you how many times I've seen that and one of the things that the Z said to one of these people many years ago they said well 
when people are detached from their feelings in life, they will feel about money and things. So mm -hmm. it's that some people aren't in touch with their feelings about another person because they're navigating their feelings about another person based on the form that was wrapped around it. So they might not have been able to access true deep intimacy in the marriage, but the minute the house and all the items that were around the marriage are being divided up, they start to feel stuff because their feelings were tied into the material plane. Wow. Mm. Um, so that, that's not a judgment on anybody because I think all of us have got that to some degree if you grew up, you know, surrounded by the material plane, as most of us did. Um, but to remember that money is an emotional force and we can neutralize it. One of the things that um, I've really had to learn to do, and I'm still learning to do this um, all the time, is... I definitely, on the one hand, I always thought that having more money would be great because it would be freeing and it would allow me to create things. You know, I'm a big investor in creativity. Like, I love, I funded all my own music albums. I love that I have a company that I can pay these creatives and we can make these videos and things. Um, but one of the things Aziz said to me is, you're only ever an ambassador of money. You don't own any of it. It's not really yours. Whatever's in your bank account, you're you're just an ambassador of money and resources for other people, for other things. And that really helped me because mm. there was the part of me that all, all my stuff was coming up, you know, like six years ago around, oh, why do I deserve to have more money than this person over here on the left who's, you know, working two jobs and, you know, I, I couldn't get my head around the kind of inequality, but what they were explaining to me was, well, the inequality around money exists on the planet. What you can do is you can't solve that today, but you can neutralize your own energy around it and you allow abundance to come to you because of what you can do as a custodian of that abundance, whether it's money or whether it's a piece of land or, and I think, I think if you speak to most of us, not many of us really know how to feel about the idea of things or money because they're not permanent. You know, in much the same way that we're going to let go of our body when we die, all of these things aren't really ours. They're just things that we have this relationship to. So loving money is, is designed to kind of just expand your perspective around money. I think that's a really helpful, helpful chapter in the book. I appreciate that you speak uh, speak about it so openly. And although the title is a little bit tricky, I think it definitely catches catches your eye. And it really helps to see. I love that the, you're an ambassador of money or um, like a steward of it. Like you're just, uh, I, I almost think of it as like you're you're kind of directing the flow of, of life. And I like how you say that you... You don't get to keep it, but you do get to kind of direct it to benefit others, and it's going to come and go and ebb and flow. and And uh, it's a it's a kind of big shift in mentality because you're right the the typical Western mentality I would really say, or maybe even just global, is to try to like hoard it or keep it or or accumulate uh, things and money and and it's really out of that misunderstanding of overly attaching to it so i really appreciate that that releasing and just neutralizing 
And then you get the feeling that you wanted to get when you accumulated. Yeah, you know, exactly. you're not accumulating. So that's really nice. Exactly. That's so true. That's so true. And I mean, you know, you guys know this because you live this life. But, uh, you know, I was just talking with a friend the other day and this friend was saying um, how happy they were. They were living in this, um, they're, they're between relationships and in this big life transition and basically said, um, they said, oh, I'm just living in this tiny little one bed apartment. And I was like, oh, my God just before I met my husband was like one of the happiest times of my life. And I was living in this teeny, teeny, tiny place in Mill Valley. And I had no stuff with me because it was all in storage, uh, Mill Valley, California. And oh my God, I just, I, I romanticize about that time now when I look so back funny. on it. Cause my, my life was so like simple and uncomplicated. Um, and it's not that I'm, don't get me wrong. I, I don't want to be back there. I'm glad I'm here. But boy, there's something to not really being surrounded by anything, you know? Mm. Yeah, just taking in the simple pleasures. Yeah, we feel that. Yeah, we feel that a lot. We're, I don't know if you know this or if our listeners know this, but we live in a tiny, how many square feet is it? Like I don't know. It's like, a 12 by 12. 12 by 12. <laughs> so, we live in a 12 by 12 room. <laughs> 140, a, a Hawaiian hall. A Hawaiian hall. And, and I've bungalow. never been happier in my life. <laughs> Awesome. That's great. That's great. You have this um, really cool chapter in the book that's all about sleep, which I've never seen in like pretty much any spiritual text I've ever read before. So could you tell us a little bit more about why sleep is so important? Sure. You know, it's funny that it's called sleep, a surprising key to self-mastery. And what I often see in comments whenever that title is thrown around, like online, uh, you know, I feel a bit bad because I see a load of people going, I have terrible insomnia. Will this solve it? And, um, and while, while they do talk about insomnia, actually, um, in the chapter, it's not necessarily about solving insomnia. It's really about the spiritual process of sleep. And um, what they say is the there's a quote in the book, and I'm going to try and remember it in that chapter. It's something like the only difference between um, a sleeping person and a corpse is a pulse. <laughs> um, and what what they mean by that is they say that when we go to sleep, we return to our soul state, mm. and we, pros- we we process things. And they say that dreams you dreams that you have that are either very intense or very colorful. They say sometimes you wake up and you're you're you wish you hadn't had that nightmare. But what they explain is they say sleep is a wonderful place to process things that you either don't need to process on the earth plane um, or in your actual life, um, but it also rewires you and recalibrates you ready for the next day. So Mm. I think the biggest takeaway from that chapter is they talk about creating sleep remedies before you go to bed. Um, and they just, a sleep remedy is literally um, a self-created affirmation. So if you had a really stressful day, let's say you felt off all day and you're like, oh, this isn't my, this isn't my favorite state at all. You might go to sleep that night and say, I ask that overnight tonight I get to release the stress of today. I intend that tomorrow I will be able to create more peace in my life. You know, something mm-hmm. like that, very mm-hmm. simple. But it's, it's basically just taking a moment to be conscious of the day that you're finishing and how you want to wake up and how you want to start the next day. And it's, it's really interesting how it works. Um, I've done it many, many, many times since that, that chapter was channeled many years ago. And um, it's really interesting, different way of approaching 
um, your understanding of sleep is not just you switching off or recovering. It's actually very, very active time in terms of the soul. That kind of puts that whole uh, saying sleep on it into perspective, like like literally just like put an intention out and sleep on it like mm. I, and, and surrender yeah. a little bit to you don't have to figure it out or have the solution, like just have the intention to have clarity tomorrow. Mm. Like I will have clarity tomorrow. Yeah. Like, wow, I love that. So simple. They're really big on us creating our own affirmations and our own intentions. Like they, they, they say, use the power of your words. Your words are magic and you forget to use them. So mm. that was all I was going to add. Mm. Yeah, and I've also um, come across this concept of, you know, your subconscious is really open those those 15 minutes right before you go to sleep. And it's the, the great time to kind of plant that affirmation and seed uh, to come to you. And I wanted to also affirm something you said that really resonated with me. You said when you, you can process things and actually wake up the next day having gone through something, even though you went through it in a dream, you are altered from it. And and I had some extremely vivid dreams recently. And I feel, I, I totally feel like that. What you just you. I feel like I woke up as if I went through that. I might as well have gone through that experience physically. And so if you if you would have went through it physically, that would have changed you and matured you as a person, right? So so yeah, why 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 do we discredit the fact that just because you went through something as a dream doesn't mean it didn't uh, alter you? I, I feel like sometimes I wake up like a completely humbled or changed or wiser person sometimes based on the dreams I have, and I just really appreciated that. And I, I'm sure the listeners also can gain a lot of you know guidance from that affirmation of dreams are actually really helpful, and if we allow them to. They can be a use for process. I love that. I mean, I, I feel like now I'm going to be even more aware of my dreams and really process them in the morning and, and accept them as, you know, might as well accept that that was a, a literal physical experience you just went through. Yeah, and I'm, I'm also aware, and I'm not, I can't remember if this is in the chapter or not, but um, I'm also aware that sometimes we don't dream, but we still have the, the process. We mm. still, something changed Something changed and moved in us that we didn't need to have our conscious awareness drawn to in a dream. Mm. So I, I, I find I find sleep interesting on that level too, especially now since um, you know that channel, which changed my perspective. Wow. Um, speaking of all of this dreaming and just like tapping into intuition, which is a really feminine energy. Um, typically, could you talk to us a little bit about feminine energy and how you f- you feel or you've said that it can really help heal heal the world? Yeah, well, I I mean, we don't have to look very far right now, do we, to see where there is a real masculine feminine imbalance conversation going on? Um, you know, you just you can see at the moment the really deep healing that's going on around the Me Too movement is yet another um, area of um, subjugation of not just women, but I I think the feminine. And um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because we live in a society where most people, even if you had a bad relationship with your mother or a tricky relationship with your mother, maybe you wouldn't count in this group, but most people will absolutely see the mother in the family is this as this power force or this nurturing force or but st- 
still in our society we've had this imbalance going on between the sexes so one of the things about the feminine energy is men need it too and um i know for most of us as men growing up we were either discouraged away from our feelings or told that we shouldn't have them or didn't have them and our feelings are so intuitive and so powerful and they are when they're balanced and when we know how to be with our feelings they become this very whole body sensory process so some of the most intuitive men i've ever met are really in touch with their feelings they're not just you know psychically gifted and yet have no empathy they're they're really in touch with their whole being and their senses and so that's emerging not just for men right now but also for women to go into a deeper level of um i think not so much owning their power because i think women do that really well i think there's a rebalancing going on around women being seen and honored for that power and one thing the z's say is that men need that um men need women to be allowed to take their rightful place on the planet so that men can then take the next step forward because at the moment both genders um and i should also include those who are transgender or people who don't identify with any of those terms um have been um imbalanced and and uh unhealthily segregated mm. too long yeah i love that a lot um i'm working on a a woman's project with with my girlfriend we're writing a book right now about honoring women's cycles and and women kind of just mm. Um, tapping more into what it means to connect to the feminine because in a sense well you know we're trying to keep up with this with this masculine world so much we've denied our femininity and our in our natural cyclical nature that that mirrors that of nature so I really love um, hearing from hearing from you on this podcast about from your perspective that you know doing that is going to help heal the planet <laughs> yeah so our final question for you today is what do you most hope the readers are going to take away from this amazing book, Energy Speaks? Well, I, you know, it's funny because I felt really compelled that we had to put the book out. and But I didn't really understand why until it was done. And, and I really feel and hope that what it does is connect people to their own power, that they just use the book as a springboard into themselves. And kind of why I appreciate that these are always doing exercises with people because I think that channeling when used that it's best and highest good can help people springboard into their own intuitive knowing and so that's what I hope this book does I, I hope by exploring some of these areas and, and whatever areas people the readers find resonance in um, it will just reconnect them to something that they already know um, but that you know perhaps none of us were trained in um, so that's my biggest hope that it helps people access their own intuitive um, and soul knowing so awesome well I definitely want to affirm you that your book is doing that and all of the work that you've been putting out is um, definitely I know inspiring myself Matthew and thousands and thousands of people to to tap into their own light working ability their own intuition and in, in, in connecting to source so for our listeners we highly recommend that you get the book yourself energy speaks and check it out and 
there's so many takeaways in the book that are practical for everyday application. And if you're somebody who's interested in tapping more into your abilities to channel or to just honor yourself, honor your intuition, this book is really a guide, a practical application for you to be able to do that. We're so grateful to have you on the show, Lee, and so honored to be able to speak to you. Thank you so much. And where can our fo- oh, thank you. And where can our listeners find you? Yeah, so my website is Lee Harris Energy, the word energy dot com. And um I also have a YouTube channel, um, Lee Harris Energy, where I put out my free monthly energy update videos, um, where I where I speak um kind of on an intuitive level about what's What's going on down here on the planet, and uh, how, how it might how how it might be landing for you, and how to how to um how to deal with it, which we all need, right? Absolutely, <laughs> so, those yeah, are my Lee favorite. Harris, those Lee, are my favorite. Yeah, great, great. Yeah, LeeHarrisEnergy.com. But I just want to say thank you guys for not just for having me on because it means I got to meet you, and I, I think you're both lovely, and I, I I really really love what you're doing in the world, and you know when I look at people like you guys doing what you're doing and the plethora of this stuff that's out there now i know that if i was 12 13 14 or a little older and all this stuff was out there my own path would have been so much Mm. easier and so much faster so um so yeah i salute you and thank you thank you thank you so much it's been an absolute pleasure 